Good morning. My name is Matt. If you're visiting, I'm one of the pastors here at Lakewood. I'm grateful that you'd be with us. I want you to know that I interpret uh, the, the sweet cries of little ones as amens to my sermon. Uh, I'm grateful that you would be here and even have your family with you. Uh, and I want you to know that regardless of where you find yourself this morning, perhaps you are bored, frustrated, in the midst of difficulty and circumstance or experiencing great joy in your life, I want you to know that you're in a good place. Thank you for being with us. Well, it is good to worship with you this morning, brothers and sisters. And on an Easter Sunday, we find ourselves, as we've been going through this series on the Sermon on the Mount, the resurrection of Jesus, a, a literal, physical conquering of sin, death, and the grave, it has significant, significant implications on your life. If you come here considering the prospect of Christianity, or you understand yourself to be a faithful follower of Christ, the resurrection of Jesus forces you into something of a somewhat weighty situation. A risen Savior in empty tomb, it proves not just the deity of Jesus as one with the Father and the Spirit as triune God, but the resurrection codifies, summons, and legislates the teachings and doctrines of Jesus over our lives. Simply put, if Jesus is God, if he rose from the grave, if that is true, he has all authority to speak and we have all obligation to listen and follow. The greatest sermon, Jesus' words and teachings up on that mountain, force every man, woman, and child in this room to truly encounter themselves in the faith and the life of faith that they're seeking to navigate. We have to, I think, avoid the temptation as we're encountered, encountered with these words to, to explain them away. Uh, so may we, we come and hear them and consider them and be changed by them because, my friends, this passage could literally change. It could change your life. Now, if you've been with us in our journey through Matthew, this book, Jesus has been depicted by our scribe, Matthew. He's the better King David. He's the better Israel. He's the better Moses who went up on a mountain to declare God's words and ways. He's the true son. And we've read many challenging calls on the Christian life so far in the Sermon on the Mount in chapters 5 and 6. And perhaps our passage this morning puts it the most transparently. And it squares itself on the nature of Jesus and our response to him, especially our response to his resurrection. Uh, so our main idea this morning is simply this. Christ is the true treasure. We'll be in Matthew 6, 19 through 24. If you would please read with me. I think we'll have it on the screen as well. If you come here this morning, by the way, and you don't have a copy of God's word, take one on the way out. There is a stack of them. We would love for you to take it, to read it, and to follow it. Uh, we read in Matthew 6, starting in verse 19, these words from Jesus. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, where 
thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, oh, how great is the darkness. No one. No one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Well, this is God's word, and and I've broken this idea of treasuring, this call to treasuring, in three aspects that I think Jesus lays out before us in our passage. And the, the first before us is this. Uh, the, this temporary, the temporary world. And I get this directly from verses 19 through 21. You see, in these verses, we're encountered with two commands. One in verse 19 and one in verse 20. Do not store up for yourself treasures on earth and do store up treasures in heaven. I want to point out a few things about these commands, but I want us to also consider the underlying issue behind the commands. So first, we have to wrestle with that these are, in fact, commands and a call on the Christian life. We've had to continually ask ourselves as we've gone through this series and the teachings of Jesus, to whom? Whom is this written for? Who is Jesus expecting to follow his words? Really, it's the same question that we ask when Moses came down from the mountain and he gave God's laws and ways in the Old Testament. God's people have always been called to follow God's words. So if we claim to be faithful followers, we are to follow Jesus' kingdom's ways and his policies. The emphasis of heavenly treasure over earthly treasure, it's not a mere suggestion to you and I. It's to be the very reality and the posture of our hearts and our lives. But notice how kind of a king that we have. He could have coldly, royally, distantly throw down the commands on those who would follow him with zero explanation. Just do it. Parents, we're good at this, aren't we? Children, listen to me. Follow my instructions. Do what I tell you to do. Why? Why? Because I said so. That's why. I'm in charge and you're a kid and you don't know as much as you think you do. Now, I'm not projecting that on you. Perhaps that's just a little bit of a confession of mine. But perhaps you too have found yourself laying down the law. You see, in contrast to how we have instructed others or how people have required things from us, Jesus offers a word of clarity and explanation to his decree and to his command. Yes, he makes a bold command to not store up earthly treasures, And to store up heavenly ones, yes. But he graciously explains why. 
Surely an example for all parents, employers, and humanity to follow at large. Gracious clarity and explanation. That's sorely lacking in our day, is it not? But look again at verse 19. Those earthly treasures have a temporary nature to them. That's the, exp- that, that's the explanation. They have an expiration date. And in contrast, the heavenly treasures do not. See, one of the underlying teachings that Jesus communicates to his hearers and to us is the fleeting, temporary, and the decaying nature of the world we find ourselves in. Putting it more forcibly might serve us better. The things of this world are designed to fail you. The things of this world are designed to fail you. Now, there are some things that we're not surprised by when they do fail. The Minnesota Vikings. Our well-intended New Year's resolutions. How's that going so far? How about the lofty promises of elected officials? But this temporary world and the failings of it go deeper than that, don't they? They do. Your health. Your marriage. Your dreams for the future. Your budding professional sports career. When I met my wife, when I was 19, I told her I was going to play for the Minnesota Twins. Thank you for not laughing. (laughs) But our retirement savings, that fails. Our intellect, young ones, your beauty will fail. And the list goes on. And it all breaks down at some point in one way or another, doesn't it? Have you considered that everything God has given you, even the good things that he's given you, are designed to ultimately fail you? They are. And you may have never looked at your life and the world that way, but why is it that despite the temporary joys of this world, why have you and I been unable to find a treasure that will truly satisfy us? And think of it in light of our celebration on an Easter Sunday in the resurrection. If there was something or someone in this life that would never fail you, Would you need a savior? If ultimate joy, success, freedom, and comfort, if it could be found outside the work and the person of Christ, would we need to go to him? Would we need a resurrected king if this world could give my heart what I needed? See, each of us here, everyone in this room, have had to take a journey to discover this truth. And the reality is, we're all in the process somewhere, aren't we? By varying degrees of success and maturity, gradually coming to understand this. Sex, money, relationships, homes, golf clubs, kids, Paw Patrol, and your iPhones. They're all earthly treasures. Good gifts, Good gifts from a good heavenly father. But gifts that will always come up short. And these gifts present, they present a deadly potential, Jesus says. 
And how quickly our heart wants to qualify verses 19 through 21. We'll immediately point out that having good things, money, relationships, 401ks, boats, and all the rest, it's okay to have them, we'll argue. Especially in our American context, we're quick to defend and justify the lives we lead and the comfort we enjoy. We are quick to argue that we're not storing up treasures for earth. Our earthly concerns, the things that we worry about, that's not misplaced emphasis on the temporary. We're just being good stewards. And yet, that's all true, isn't it? However, will you allow Jesus' words to rest on your soul for a moment before we start qualifying and defending ourselves? Will we consider that perhaps our affections are too centered on what is temporary and what is fleeting? Look again at verse 21. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. What's the core concern and danger? Jesus is primarily concerned with our posture, the posture of our, our hearts as it relates to how we navigate the world that we live in. You, my friend, if you are a faithful follower of Christ, you are a stranger and a sojourner in a world that is not your ultimate home. If you're a faithful follower of Christ, the resurrection has changed everything, your heart, your relationship to this world, and yes, your eternal future. Our hearts are hardwired to treasure. We all treasure something. So Jesus isn't calling us to something we're incapable of. The call for you and I today is to have a heart so shaped by Christ and his gospel, to have the Beatitudes of Matthew 5 so deeply pressed into our souls that we hold this faithful tension. The tension of actively loving, serving, engaging, and enjoying the gifts of this world, while at the same time cherishing and treasuring the only thing that will ultimately last a relationship with the living God through Christ. These are, verses 19 through 21, diagnostic kinds of verses. Here to help us examine not just what we say is our treasure. I'm a pastor. I say a lot of spiritual sounding things. The call isn't just to consider what we say, but whether it is empirically true of our lives day to day. <laughs> And may the Lord help us, this temporary world. But next, look in our passage, specifically at verses 22 and 23. We see not just this temporary world, but the ruined retina. You got eye problems. And if you understand the eye in the scriptures only literally, only physically and scientifically, you'll be very confused as you read the Bible. Both in the Old and New Testament, the eye signifies not just what we see, but it's deeply connected to the heart and the soul as kind of the directing agent of your life. Even earlier in our passage in Matthew 5, Jesus says, if your eye causes you to sin, tear it out. Well, if you were to read this passage as a naturalist, there would be many one-eyed individuals in this room. A lot of eye patches, a lot of pirates in here. 
See, the eye symbolizes the heart. Hence, the very Christian cliche, Oh God, open the eyes of my heart. And that is why, verses 22 and 23, they're not a separate thought, but a continuation of the call to treasure heavenly things and not this temporary world. Just as we read in James 3 that the tongue is kind of the rudder for the Christian life, so too is the eye. There is a physical and a spiritual aspect to the eye. I think we need to consider both for a moment. Jesus says in verse 22 that the eye is the lamp of the body. What you physically look at will ultimately determine whether you are full of light or darkness. There is a literal physical aspect that cannot be denied. If your eyes are intimately connected to the heart, it makes sense that what we literally gaze upon will become our treasure. So brothers and sisters, what you find yourself looking at the most. I wonder what your screen time has been like this week. Mine's down 42%. I did good this week. The things you look at the most will arrest the affection of your heart. And this applies to everyone in this room, men, women, children. Your heart will bend to what you constantly look at. But uh, allow me for a moment just to especially single out the men here. Men, God may very well call some of you to signalness. And if he does, praise God and I hope you leverage it well. Whether you are young or old, single or married, but especially married, allow your eyes to only gaze with affection toward the woman who God has given you. Now, we recently covered in Matthew 5 that marriage is not supreme in the Christian life. It's not. However, there will be many here who have been, will be, or currently are married. And if you want to know what will protect marriages, perhaps more than anything else, my own marriage included, it's where our eyes go and what we treasure. And this whole idea of where our eyes go and what we treasure, it's kind of a convicting thing to think about. Because we gaze at a lot of things in this world, both good and bad. We live in physical bodies, tangibly touching and seeing a physical world. Of course, of course, our eyes will naturally look and see the treasures of this earth. So we see a clear teaching that there should be a guarding of our eyes and a protection of our souls. But the main principle here, it's not physical, is it? No. We could legalistically apply these verses and forbid to ever look upon earthly treasures should they sway us. We could take these verses to extremes and say that we are never to allow our eyes ever to see an attractive person look upon a brand new F-150 or look upon successful sports franchises. Don't even look. Don't even look. And if you can't tell, I'm a salty Minnesota Vikings fan. I am. The call is not to not see the things around you. We can't help but see treasures. The good and bad eye is tied to a healthy or unhealthy heart and mind. 
Or you could even say your lens and the worldview that you have. You see, is the issue, my friends, is the issue that you see an attractive person? Or is it that the lens in which you view them is twisted? Is it a problem that you see a certain number in your bank account? Or is it the way in which you interpret that number for your own kingdom instead of God's? We can all see tangibly and physically the same things. We can. But how do we view them? How do we interpret them? How do we understand them? What is our worldview? So if we apply this through the temporary nature of this world and the treasures on earth or in heaven, we already talked about marriage, but how do you view your marriage? Do you leverage it as an earthly treasure or do you use it as a heavenly one? Kids, adults, your gifts, your talents, your possessions, your free time, your relationships, how does your eye view them? There is an intimate connection between our storing up of treasures on earth and just really the darkness of our eyes, the failing of our eyes, the weakness of our worldview and lens, the condition of our heart, mind, and soul. What Jesus is calling us to here is a recalibration of how we see and understand the world around us. Our vision is off. We look at this life through a lens that centers itself, or rather, we center ourselves, and the things of earth. That is central at the cost of seeing God as central. We fail to understand the things that we enjoy or even the things that we suffer in this life through the grid of eternity. My friends, you are not called to abandon this world and have your head in the clouds. No. It's a call to rightly understand the context and the life that you've been given. So ask God this week to give you a clear, sound, healthy set of eyes and a lens as you look at the world around you. But lastly, look with me at verse 24 again. This call to treasure, we now see that we come to the difficult decision. And make no mistake about it this morning, this is a difficult decision. I'll I'll share why it's so difficult in a moment. See, it's very clear that Jesus understands the treasuring of this temporary world, having a ruined retina, that fails to properly see through the lens of God's kingdom, it not only produces darkness, but verse 24 says, it produces a love and it produces a slavery to money. The idea of master and slave is one that is repulsive in our context today, and it should be. We usually think of what is commonly referred to as chattel slavery. The practice of owning someone as a slave the same way that you would own a piece of livestock or living room furniture. That's gross. But the Apostle Paul often started his epistles by describing himself as a bondservant or a slave to the master Jesus. The biblical category for this thinking is seeing yourself as under the direction, the control, and the order of someone else. So you're not a piece of livestock. You're a human made in the image of God who's been placed under the authority of another and your loyalties to them. And in that sense, 
Jesus lays out two options as we wrestle with allegiance, treasuring and seeing the world rightly. So lest we think that we can somehow treasure this world and Christ at the same time, Jesus makes a very shocking statement. Verse 24, no one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Now I looked, and there's not a lot of wiggle room in that verse. Because if I could wiggle out of it, I would. Maybe you would too. It forces us to answer the question, who is my master? To whom or what does my loyalty and affection belong? Am I trying to convince myself that I can be loyal and be directed by the earthly, temporary treasures of this world and Christ at the same time? No, you are either a slave to money or a slave to God. You will either leverage your life, your time, your gifts, your bank accounts for temporary earthly treasures, or you will seek to employ all these things for something bigger, for something larger, for something redemptive, and something that lasts. And if you find this a little unsettling and perhaps a little offensive, well, good. It is a bit offensive, at least to me. Jesus, he continues to press against the social imaginaries and the norms that we've been led to believe that form from our own thoughts and the world around us. So what do we consume ourselves with? Where is our loyalty? Whom is our master? We are slaves to retirement accounts, the national GDP, and the balance of our bank accounts. We are consumed by kids, grandkids, spouses, friendships, or the relationships we wish we had. We're devoted to personal comfort, preference, and the nostalgia of the good old days. And kids, if that drives you nuts... Just wait a couple years, you're going to do the same thing. We are quick to serve self, strive for the temporary, and bemoan when things eventually fall apart. But there's nuance here, isn't there? Many of us sit in this room with several of the good things we just mentioned. And Jesus calls us yet again as faithful followers of Christ to live in attention. In the tension of two things being true at the same time. I've been given a life full of temporary earthly treasures. And I've been called to hold it loosely. And to have an eye that sees things as they are and serve God. And here's why this difficult decision, who's going to be my master, here's why it's so difficult. You're called to attention you cannot hold. You're called to a decision you cannot make. Many of us will hear these words and we will want to respond. We will want to change. We will want to conform to these words. 
we will want to rightly see and hold the things of this world. We will want to see Christ as the true treasure that he is. And if you want any of these things, that desire in itself is not born out of your good character. But rather, it is a desire that God has placed in you. There are no self-made men and women as it relates to our walk with God. Only a good, kind God who draws us and changes us. The truth is that the call on your life to treasure Christ, to see this temporary world, to see it through a lens that's right, to have a master that is Christ above all things, it's an impossible call on your life, humanly speaking. Who is it that can produce this kind of life? Who can possibly navigate the choppy waters of a world full of competing treasures? If you were to simply rip these verses out of their context, you may very well conclude that your life is to be given over to a lot of work, a lot of hard work, and a lot of performance, and then you might obtain it someday. My friends, that is not a Christian reading of the scriptures. Jesus' greatest sermon in our passage today must be understood in light of what we call the good news and the gospel. And providentially, that is what we celebrate on an Easter Sunday. Jesus came and lived a perfect life on your behalf. He died a sacrificial death in your place. And he rose from the grave, conquering sin and death so that you too can live a resurrection life. You too can be made new and forgiven. You can be enabled by the Spirit of God to follow, serve, and give your ultimate loyalty and affection to the Master who died for you, this King Jesus. If you are here today, maybe someone dragged you here. If you're here today and you're considering Christianity, if you have not trusted in him, if you see that the treasures of your heart, some of which, some of those treasures may be noble, but if you see that they are temporary and not ultimately satisfying to your soul, if you can see that your lens, the eye in which you view the world is misguided, if self and money have been your master, I have great news for you. I have the best news. There is great grace for you in the gospel of Christ. Receive him today and be changed. For many here who profess they are faithful followers of Christ, will we allow these words of King Jesus not just to inform Easter Sunday, but also tomorrow on a normal Monday? You know, tomorrow is Monday, right? And you all look very pretty. But tomorrow we go back to jobs and school, navigating relationships, fears, difficulties, joys, exploding diapers. There's a lot going on tomorrow. So will we allow the words of God to not just inform us on an Easter Sunday, but, but tomorrow as we live the life that God has given us? 
You see, if we can boldly declare that we've had an experience with the triune God, if we can say that we follow his words and teaching, if we would publicly declare our loyalty, then may our lives be more and more in evidence of his grace. May we not be hypocrites, but would we openly confess that we too cling too tightly to this temporary world. Our eyes drift and we too misinterpret the things around us. And in our most honest moments, those who might look at our lives might truly wonder who our master is. If that's you this morning, there's grace for you too. What Jesus calls you to here in this passage, he shapes in you. The call of the Christian life on an Easter Sunday is not one of morality. God is not calling you to simply try harder and do better and put on a good face. What Christ calls of you, he will shape in you. The resurrected Jesus will change you. So would you cling to Christ in a fresh way? Would you ask him to enlarge your heart to treasure? You've been made, you've been hardwired to treasure. May we all become more convinced in light of the resurrection that Christ is the true treasure. He is risen. Man, you guys did bad on that one. You didn't know it was coming though. He is risen. Would you pray with me that God would help us to live as if that's true? Father, we come to you now in Jesus' name. Oh God, we come with a big ask. Would you show yourself to be near and powerful? This call to treasure... This call to place our loyalty in the heavenly realm above, to hold loosely the things of this world. God, you've called us to attention that feels impossible. Because God, I am very aware of what life has in front of me. God, we have pains. We have concerns about our world. We have concerns about the hearts of people around us. We have concerns about what we will eat and what we will wear and how you will provide. We have concerns of how we will move on and put one foot in front of the other when life is hard. And yet you call us to hold it loosely. For our true treasure and loyalty to be in Christ. So change our eyesight, repair our ruined retina, give us a deep love and affection for the risen Christ. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.